This is the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who loves to work smart, not hard. Today, I'm talking to Pat Flynn, the mastermind behind the Smart Passive Income podcast and blog. This is a special masterclass episode during which he will give us an inside look at how he's built his empire. And he will also respond to questions that you, our I Make a Living audience, have submitted. We recorded this interview a couple months ago before COVID-19 became a global pandemic. But now that we are forced to innovate in our businesses, this is the perfect time to understand how to consistently generate passive income. Here's Pat on how a major career disappointment drove him to create multiple high-earning ventures. I make a living uh, in a number of different ways. The quick story is in 2008, I got laid off from my architecture job. That was my dream job. So it was a pretty big blow. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a plan B. However, I took some knowledge I had about an exam in the architecture space. I put that knowledge online. I ended up selling a study guide and helping people pass that exam. And that business, within about a year, ended up making over $200,000, which kind of blew my mind. And I always thought like the FBI or somebody was just going to show up at my door one day and go, you did it wrong. You're going to jail. Just because I was trained to, you know, work the nine to five. And here I was almost being forced to become an entrepreneur. But I then realized just how much greater it was because uh, I was my own boss. But I ended up making much more money doing that. And more than that, I had much more freedom with my time. And I make a living in many more ways than just helping people pass that architectural exam. Since then, I've built a website called smartpassiveincome.com where I am very transparent about my other businesses. So I started out with that site at the end of 2008. And what I did is I shared, because a lot of people were asking, how did you build this architecture business thing? Like, can you show us? And I was like, well, yeah, happy to. So I started sharing about that and I started getting even more and more interested about online business and marketing. And so I started to experiment and create new businesses. And all while doing that, I was open with the entire process, what I was learning, what I didn't know, what I did know, what was going well, what was not going well. And I ended up building several different businesses publicly. One of them was an iPhone app company. This was back in 2008 when there wasn't a billion apps in the app store. And that company ended up making over a million dollars. And I ended up just stopping that because it got just so saturated. And I really wanted to help more people uh, as opposed to just creating like wacky games that people were downloading. I also started helping people start their own businesses because a lot of people were getting inspiration from me. And so that has turned into this multi-million dollar business now that helps people with podcasting, blogging, uh, marketing, everything from SEO to social media. You know, my podcast has just crossed 65 million downloads recently, Amazing. which is just like, I don't even understand, I can't even fathom that still. And uh, now we have online courses to help people, and I run my own events now. Uh, my latest side project, by the way, because there's too many to mention, this one's probably my favorite because it involves a physical product that me and my videographer invented. It's called the Switch Pod, and it's a tripod that the legs can fold into each other to turn into sort of a selfie stick, but then the legs can come out and snap and turn into a tripod again. And we kickstarted this last year, 2019, in February, and we ended up raising about a half million dollars from backers that we then used to manufacture the product. And now it's available on Amazon and in retail stores online. And just that in and of itself may be the biggest business that I've created because it just has so much more reach and potential. So all in all, I would say I make a living truly 
by helping other people solve their problems, big and small. And that's truly what all businesses really do, all successful businesses, actually. And that's just what I love to help other people discover. I love that. I love in your podcast, you give so much actionable advice to making a living in different ways. And it's it's called smart passive income. But that doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. So I'm curious what it means to you. Some people think it's like sitting back on a beach with a pina colada and money's coming in. And for some people, it's like making a living from your passion. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of despise that laptop lifestyle scenario that we all see. You know, we see the stock image of the person with their legs and they got the computer on their lap. I'm like, who even does that? Like, you're going to get sand in your keyboard. It's not even going to work anymore. People don't do that, right? But it's like the lifestyle that we want. To me, passive income, and I'm glad we're talking about this because people see oh, smart passive income, cool. Like I can just press a button and go and then I'm gonna make loads of money. That's absolutely not how it is. The reason I chose passive income is really the main domain that I have. And the keyword is because there were so many people teaching it the wrong way and were sort of scamming people and duping people in the world of internet business and online marketing. And I was like, no, I wanna get in front of those people and then tell the truth. Hey guys, passive income pretty much doesn't really exist. There's no 100% automated forever passive income unless you, you know, acted in a movie a while ago and you're still getting royalties on that. That That's like really we the love only- love those residual checks. Those, those residual are checks are great. Real estate isn't even passive fully because you have to keep up your portfolio and things change and you have to sell and buy and there's like a lot of things. Manage even the, the stock properties. market, you still mm-hmm. have to manage it. So nothing is 100% passive income. Passive income to me in the way that I teach it is building businesses that can pay you back time and time again after you've invested that time and or money up front to create those systems, to build the business, to create something that can, without you having to do it all the time, can still help people. Your business can actually grow without you having to actively be involved all the time. And again, remember, like I said earlier, I was trained to work X hours, you get paid for those X hours. With passive income and the way that I teach it, it's you work your butt off up front. You gotta invest time and a lot of research up front to make sure that you are solving the right problems, you're building the right solutions. That's not easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's worth the effort to do that because then you can build something that can pay you back time and time. Again, using now the software and that we have access to the internet, um, maybe even building a team to help you. Yeah, there's something you mentioned sort of passively. <laughs> you <laughs> <Nice> said, <laughs> you said, you chose the keyword passive income and that that was the audience you were trying to reach, right? Is people who were searching for that. I find that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people who are going for that mm-hmm. smart passive income aren't actually even thinking about keywords or their target market. How, how intentional has that process been for you? And then how can people who are listening get a little bit clearer if they're at the beginning process or maybe if they need to pivot because sometimes you choose the wrong title. Right. And you can totally pivot. I mean, that's a very common thing and almost a required thing in business because you can create a business plan. A plan is just your best guess. It's never going to go according to plan. As long as your goals remain the same, you can take whatever direction you want. The problem is when there's no goals that are set or direction, it's like, you know, if you go into a car and you don't punch in an address in the navigation, you just drive around and you waste gas and then all of a sudden you're stranded on the side of the road. And that's how a lot of entrepreneurs take it because we don't have a clear goal. And the clear goal not being a dollar value, the clear goal not being, I want to be rich and famous. The clear goal being here is a target audience and here's the problem that they have. I want to solve that problem. How I solve that problem may end up changing over time. So the word pivot doesn't mean start over from scratch. It just means 
well, you're going to have to go the different route this time uh, when, when you go around. So rewinding back to the passive income keyword, I was specifically very intentional because those are the people I knew I wanted to help. And in research, I discovered that that's ultimately what they wanted. They wanted passive income in a way where income was coming into their bank account without them working. The problem was it takes a lot of time and effort to get there. So I wanted to just provide the truth behind that. And that's why everything you see that I do, I share all sides of the story. A lot of people love to follow me because I share my failures and they love that. And I think that's really cool. And it's also cool for me too, because I know if I fail, well, at least it's gonna help somebody else. But every time I give and I'm transparent and I'm authentic and I serve others first, it always comes back in some way, shape or form. Maybe not monetarily, but maybe in the form of sharing, maybe in the form of feedback, maybe in the form of just support. And so my motto is, you know, your earnings are a byproduct of how well you serve your audience. Mm -hmm. So let's figure out how to best do that. And then you will be rewarded for it. Yeah. And you're very transparent on the podcast about everything and in your blog and all the different aspects of smart passive income. But you also talk about being a family man and having work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, that is directly in competition with some of the business advice that's out there that's like, you have an idea and you focus on it and you you stay up 18 hours and you grind and you grind and you grind. Hustle, 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 hustle culture. Yeah. So what's your philosophy on, I, I hate to use the word work-life balance because, you know, it's so There's over. no such thing. Right. It's work-life balancing. Yeah. Well, right. it's all like, it's all life, <laughs> essentially. Right. Like right, right. the work is the life. Well, we have this we, we have this thought that, you know, we could have a perfect situation where there's perfect on one side of business and everything's going well there, and then it's perfect on the other side with personal life, whatever it is. But if you imagine a scale, right, and there's you put weight on both sides, it's only perfectly balanced in one frame of the entire spectrum of how it can go back and forth. Yet that's what we shoot for, perfect balance. And if you shoot for perfect balance all the time, you're going to be disappointed all the time. Because, it, and maybe you have a moment where it's perfect, but then it almost reinforces how off kilter it might be when it's not there. Versus trying to make sure we just don't teeter too far to one side or the other. Having either systems and checks in place to make sure we don't go too far or other people in our life that can go, hey, you've been a little sort of out of it lately and so focused on your business, like what about us? And for me, my system and checks and balances is my wife, who's very upfront with me when things uh, may be not going the way that they should be. And I love her for that. You know, sometimes it's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle. <laughs> so she's there on the outside helping me read the label, right? And I think as entrepreneurs, it's very easy to get lost in just the excitement, but also the stress and all the inner workings of a business. I mean, we wear all the hats, right? Especially when you're starting out. But to me, I don't try to actually separate the two. I actually blend the two. The line is very blurry, and I do that very purposefully. On one level, uh, and on the first hand, in my business, I found out through just kind of happenstance that people really enjoy when I show up as a human. There are so many other people talking about very similar things that I do. What's going to make me stand out? Well, guess what? Nobody else is like you, the listener. Nobody's like you. You are 100% original. So you might as well use the thing that you have to your advantage that nobody else is like, you. Because we live, as my buddy uh, Chris Ducker says, he says, we live in this world where business is not B2B or B2C anymore. It's P2P. It's person-to-person -person relationships. So when I show up as a human, 
I'm a family man. I got two kids. I'm not a perfect parent, but I try. And, and I love to encourage my kids to become entrepreneurs and hear some of the cool things that they've done. Um, people can really resonate with that. They also resonate with the fact that I'm a super nerd when it comes to Back to the Future. I talk about it way too much, but people know me for that. And an interesting thing happens whenever anybody sees Back to the Future on TV or they see a DeLorean driving down the highway, which is very unique. Then they go, oh my gosh, oh yeah, that's Pat's favorite movie. I get tweets at least once a week from somebody who references Back to the Future and was just was reminded of me. I find that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into this trap of trying to be all things to all people. I know I did early in my career. Perhaps you're scared that by expressing your individuality and personality, you'll alienate some of your customers. But what I've learned is that if someone is turned off by your approach, they weren't actually your ideal customer to begin with. We can learn a lot from Pat's perspective on social media. He leans into what makes him an individual to attract an audience. If you do try to please everybody, you're going to attract nobody. Because people want to find people that they really resonate with. Like I said, P to P. And if you're somebody who tries to be everything for everybody, you're nobody. You have to become somebody's favorite. And how might you do that when you are all, all over the place? So I think that the, part of this is also is just being comfortable with being yourself and being fully you and, and showing up. And when you fully show up, and I'm not saying you have to like blog about everything you had for breakfast kind of showing up. I just mean like, Things that your friends know about you, people online could probably know about you, and it would help make you a little bit unique and help you stand out. And, and it doesn't take much. It doesn't even take a lot of strategy. It just takes you being you. And this is why I love the medium of podcasting, because we tell stories, we show up, our voice, you can hear the intonation, you get to know the person behind the microphone or behind the brand a little bit better, which is why I'm super bullish on podcasting. Plus, it's a lot easier to get behind a mic as opposed to getting behind the camera with lights and what, you, what are you going to wear, or makeup, or any of that stuff. You don't need that with podcasts. Like, you don't even know listening to this if I'm wearing pants or not right now. Like, you don't know. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I mean, I'm across the table from you. I don't know what's on. I am wearing pants, just <laughs> okay, so you know. Um, Thank goodness. Anyway, I'm getting off tangent But there's here. also less uh, tech to figure out because that's another barrier for entry for a lot of entrepreneurs. It's like figuring out the tech. Like, even hearing you talk about your physical product, like thinking about, Oh my gosh, I don't even know how I would design or distribute a Yeah, I didn't, know, I didn't know either. How do you figure it out, Pat? You have to realize there are people in this world who have done the things that you probably want to do before you, and they do them very well. They've already made all the mistakes for you, and you could get those people to help you. Some of those people you may have to pay to get access to the help. Some of those people are very open and transparent, like I am, with how I've started my business. And they share those things openly online because they want to help others too. I remember when I was training for, or I had the goal of wanting to uh, complete a triathlon. Was I going to just figure it out on my own and just hop and skip around and potentially injure myself? No. I found somebody in my community who has helped people run triathlons before. There you go. There's a solution, right? I don't know the answer, so let's find somebody who does. In, in the case of the switch pod and that invention, I found a friend of mine, Richie Norton. He has a company called Product, like Proud Product. This is literally what he does. He takes entrepreneurs' ideas where they don't know how to manufacture or build anything, and he has the engineering team. He has access to the manufacturing crew. He has access to packaging and shipping and fulfillment. So it's a match made in heaven. And, and there are people and services out there like that that can help fill in those gaps for you. But again, what was very clear for us 
was who we were serving, so our target market, people who vlogged, videographers, and this pain that they had, this small little micro friction in their life. And that's what I was solving for, a micro friction. I wasn't creating the next Uber. I wasn't creating the next uh, you know, Tesla or, or fidget spinner. There was a little pain that I and many other videographers had, which is trying to vlog with one of those gorilla pods where it's just so hard to open and make straight. That's all we were solving. And we were able to now build a million dollar business out of solving that little friction. And that's often where the best ideas can come from. And when you can chat with people, which is what we did, we created a prototype out of cardboard and just shared it with people. Like we openly shared our idea before it was fully made. And I think that also holds a lot of entrepreneurs back, right? Like, I don't want to share my idea because it's a secret and they might steal it from me, right? You have so much more benefit of sharing your idea and having people tell you why it sucks and why it's so bad right now. And thank God they would tell you up front so that you don't waste your time. Mm -hmm. So we shared this little cardboard thing with some YouTubers and they were like, this is too big or too small or I want it this shape or this is too thick. Then we turned it into a 3D printed model and then we went to events where YouTubers went, like VidCon and VidSummit. And we're just like, hey guys, this is what we're thinking of. Oh, this is a great idea. Like, can I play with it? And we just see how they play with it and they go, oh, I wish it did this or, you know, I kind of want to hold it up here because my camera's a little heavier. Like you should have some like grip thing up here. Now we're having our customers create our product for us. And then we just give it back to them once, you know, so it, like we didn't even design it. Our target <laughs> customer designed it for us, right? And I, I love business and marketing, number one, where everybody wins because they're getting a solution. We're getting a business up and running. But number two, a business where you don't have to guess. That's why an email list is so important to me. That's why building your community is so important. This is why real life conversations with your target audience is so important because then you don't have to guess what your next steps might be. You might not know if it's going to work for sure, but at least you're going to get direction from the people who you're ultimately going to serve anyway. Yeah. And once you get them on board with it, like now you've built the ideal product for them mm -hmm. and obviously making a million dollars off of it so far, people are not just liking it, they're loving it. And you talk a lot about super fans. Yeah. Like they are now advocates for your product. What's the difference, Pat, between somebody that's a follower or even, you know, in talking about podcasting, a listener and a super fan. So a super fan, uh, which was the name of my latest book and big credit to the author of A Thousand True Fans, which is what inspired this uh, book, Kevin Kelly. He's the senior editor at Wired Magazine. He came out with this article in 2006, I believe it was called A Thousand True Fans. And in there, he defines true fans in the same way I'll define it for you right now. He says a true fan or a super fan is if you're a musician, right? This is the person who drives eight hours to go to your set to listen to you because that's as close as you're gonna get to their hometown. And they wait after in the back, after you leave in the midnight hour because they just wanna take a selfie with you. Like that's a super fan, right? A super fan is somebody who, when they hear their favorite companies coming out with a product, they're already on the checkout page before you even finish the announcement. Pre-ordered. Pre-ordered, like <laughs> without even reading the sales page, they're already, they're already in because they just love your brand so much. Uh, a true fan is somebody who will have the entire collection of what it is that you do and just talk about it so much it annoys their friends and family who think they're weird because they're a fan of it so much. Much like how a lot of my friends think I'm weird for absolutely loving and spending loads of money on Back to the Future. Because a super fan- <laughs> Still it, today. Still today. My <laughs> prized possession is a 70 millimeter roll of a trailer that was played of Back to the Future back in 1985. That's my pride and joy. How do you even get that? 
there are people, right? Like <laughs> you, you and, know people, you ask around. And super fans mm-hmm. will find each other, right? Like I know a whole load of other Back to the Future fans, like just like Lego fans find each other, right? Do you know what an AFOL is? A-F-O-L? No. That's an adult fan of Lego. If you go to meetup.com and type AFOL, you will find thousands of adult fan of Lego meetups happening throughout the entire world every single year. Because these nerds who love plastic toys want to find other nerds who like plastic toys like them, right? And and super fans will do that. And those aren't even run by Lego. Those are just like self-driven meetups, right? Uh, which is pretty incredible. A super fan is somebody who, if your team loses, they will cry. And they will cry and they will hug and cry on the shoulder of somebody they don't even know, but they just happen to be wearing the same ball cap because we're all in it together. And a super fan is somebody who, if there's a troll in your business that pops up, you won't even know that troll exists because your super fans have already decimated them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like these, this is business insurance, in my opinion. And that's why focusing on the experiences that you offer your uh, readers, your subscribers, and then they become your customers. But then how do you make them feel like they're a part of something? How do you get them involved to a point where they almost are invested in what it is that you're doing? And how do you make them feel like a part of their life is missing if you didn't come out with your podcast that day kind of thing, right? How do you do it, Pat? <laughs> well, you can get my book, which teaches you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, there's a progression, right? Here, here's the biggest lesson. Fans aren't created the moment people find you. They're created by the moments you create for them over time. So if you listen to a song for the first time and you love it, but you don't even know who the band is, you're not a fan of the band yet. You had an entry point, that first song that spoke to you that made you go, okay, let me go find them on Spotify now and check out the rest of their album. And then you start listening to them more and more. And then maybe you listen to the song on a date that you went out and it just like provided some amazing ambiance. So it's now even more meaningful because it's now a part of your life. And then you see that they're on tour now. So then you go to the concert and then you meet other people who are talking about it. And then you buy memorabilia together and then you go and walk on the street and somebody wearing the same cap and you say hello and now you're friends with them. Now you're in this community. You can identify with other people as fans of this band. And then you are now spending loads and loads of money on bobbleheads and action figures and stuff, which my wife does on her favorite band, which is the Backstreet Boys. So So um, she can't say anything about Back to the Future. (laughs) No, 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 no. I I, I can't say anything about the Backstreet Boys, even though I'm an NSYNC fan. Um, yeah, but we, we're trying to make our marriage work, you know, yeah. so I can't say it. But of course, that. I mean, <laughs> um, that that's a super fan, you know, and this is so important in business today because no matter what happens, if your website gets hacked and you lose your website, if Facebook and Instagram and all these other platforms add even bigger walls between ourselves and the people who said they want to hear from us, your super fans are going to go out of their way to make sure they find you. They will back you up. They will support you. They'll be there forever for you as long as you keep being why they loved you in the first place or keep delivering for them. And there's so many ways to do that. And and it's so easy. You, you don't have to pay any, anything. It's just thought that is required. A lot of what you said is about creating community, whether it's they're wearing your hat and they go out and connect with another person sure. or you're creating a meetup for them. Mm-hmm. And I know like you have your own conference right, coming up. Right. But the podcasting is something that you do every week and that you coach other people on how to do. And a lot of our listeners, like when I go to the I Make a Living Live events, they're like, I have a business, but I feel like I should have a podcast. Everybody's telling me I should start a podcast. You should start a podcast. You think everyone should start a podcast? Because it's the best way to scale intimacy. It's the best way to build a real intimate relationship with a customer or a student or a future student. And if you have things that you sell, whether it's a coaching program or a product or whatever it is, use your podcast to invite those people on 
and have them tell their story. Don't have them come on to share a testimonial. Have them come on to tell their story, which is what I feel the podcasting platform is built for. It's for storytelling, in my opinion. And when you have somebody who's a customer tell their story, they share what life was like before. They share the struggles, the objections, everything your target customers are thinking before they buy. And then they share the transformation and what has happened since then. That becomes the most organic, beautiful, non-markety testimonial you could ever ask for that would that they are going to sell your products better than you can. And if you follow Donald Miller and StoryBrand, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Your customer is the hero of the story. You are just the guide. We all want to be like Luke Skywalker, the hero of Star Wars. But he wasn't perfect. He had some struggles. He didn't believe he could do what he was going to do, right? And then, of course, he gets trained by this little green guy named Yoda. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming everybody listening to this has seen Star Wars, you know, and then they win at the end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're supposed to say spoiler. Yeah, right. No, uh, but there was a struggle, but then there was an outcome and a, and a better version of himself after. And when you can use your podcast as a platform in a very simple way without having to even go to where that person is to still collect that story, it becomes a massive, incredible marketing asset for you. And in addition to connecting with your customers there and also having other customers listen to somebody more relatable, I actually have a lot of students who start their podcast simply for this one reason alone. They just want an excuse to talk to other people in their industry. And and you can get access to people who you wouldn't normally be able to get access to. For example, I was able to connect with Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk and so many other big leagues in the entrepreneurial space because I had a podcast. And if you use your podcast to serve them, to help them, again, this is always a service-driven thing. Everything I teach is service-driven. If you can go, hey, Tim, I see you have a new book coming out, Tim Ferriss, right? I would love for you to come on the podcast. I'm going to push your book out to as many people as I can. I want to, I want to buy 10 copies and give them away in a contest, and we'll just— share this with as many people as we can. Well, now I'm more likely going to get a yes because I'm actually helping this person in something that they're involved with right now, which is super big book launch. And I think we all know that when people are doing book launches, they go, quote unquote, on tour, book tours around the world to share their book. But now that podcast exists, it's much easier for a person to go on a book tour because they just need to be a guest on a podcast and just sit in a hotel room all day. And they want as many of those as possible. So if you're like, how do I get great guests on my show? See who's coming out with a book soon. You're going to be more likely to get a yes. What I would recommend is, number one, you go and listen to podcasts and you just kind of be conscious about what you like and what you don't like. And you can develop your own style from there. And number two, and this is the truth, you won't know what works until you get started. Just try something. Be the disaster before you become the master. Not into producing podcasts? Maybe that's not your medium. There are so many pathways to building an audience using creativity and storytelling. Pat gives us advice on how to find the best passion project for you and your business. Comes down to what I like to call the market map. If you're traveling anywhere, and when you're an entrepreneur, you're traveling into unknown territory, right? We need to know, well, where are we going? So we need a layout of the land. We need to know who's there already, what landmarks are there, and also where might there be undiscovered land that we could sort of position ourselves in this map. So if you imagine like the space that you're getting into, this target market, there's a map. We need to start drawing out the map. So I'm going to give you the three Ps in building your market map. The first P is find out 
all the places that your target market exists. This is online, offline, websites, wherever they're at, forums, groups, et cetera, all the places. You write these down, put them in a spreadsheet. And then that just gives you at least a sense of, okay, this is where the audience hangs out. And you don't have to find all of them, but you could use some really easy tools like Google. Just type in site, colon, and then your keyword for your target market. You're going to find all the top ranking sites. You can type in forum, colon, or blog, colon, and you'll find all those, the top blogs. So those are the places. The next P, you want to write down and list all the people, all the people in that space who have already spent time to earn the trust of that target audience. They may or may not align with some of the websites you found, but who are the top podcasters in that space? Who has the top LinkedIn profile? Who has the top Twitter profile? Like These are the players who are in that space already who you may be able to reach out with or build a relationship with or have on your show or partner with or JV with, you know, joint venture with. So again, another sense of the lay of the land. And the final piece is to find the products that are already being sold on Amazon, on any marketplaces, on these websites, what's being sold, what's being offered and recommended to these people. And that way you can already just doing that market map exercise alone, you can get a sense of, wow, this, there seems to be a lot of people over here doing this thing, but I mean, nobody's doing this thing over here. This seems to be a good opportunity where I can maybe just, I want to help this market and it seems like they're not getting a lot of help over here. Or maybe you go into the product reviews on Amazon if it's like a physical product, which is what we did. So we go into the three-star reviews on Amazon for, for competing products or products that they're already buying. Why the three-star? Well, the five-stars are always going to be excellent. They don't really tell you much always or they're very biased for whatever reason. The one-stars, they just maybe had a bad day that day. <laughs> <laughs> the three stars will literally sometimes say, here's what I like about it. Here's what I don't like about it. Imagine you're getting into a new space and you hear from somebody in that target audience. Here's what I like about what's here already. Here's, here's what, what I, I want more of. Here's what I want more of. Exactly. Here's what I don't want. Please stay away from this. Now you're guided. Now you have a map. You have a beacon that you can kind of get to. We have so many questions from our listeners that I've collected for you since this is a special masterclass episode. But before we go, I know you do a lot of interviews and you do a lot of speaking and you talk to a lot of people. And I'm curious, the one thing, if there is something that you wish people would ask you about that you never get asked. I hardly get a chance to talk about the struggle that I had with perfectionism. And I think that's so important. I remember being trained essentially to always try and be perfect, you know, to always put my best foot forward and work on the things that I wasn't so great at so I could get ahead as far as I could. Very competitive. I was an only child. So it wasn't like I was competing with anybody around me. I just wanted to be the best. And I remember coming home from school with a 97% on my math test once and my dad going, well, what happened to the other 3%? Let's work on that. And spending two to three hours on those three problems that I missed, making sure I would never miss them again. Of course, I graduated with high honors, magna cum laude from Berkeley. You know, I, I was following the path that I was told to follow. And I worked hard for it. It did not come easy for me, but I worked for it. Which is why when I got laid off in 2008 from my dream architecture job, I was like, breaks on everything that I thought was supposed to happen. And of course, the recession was happening at the time, so I had no control over that, and that was the problem. Like, I had literally no, I did everything right, yet I had no control. So when I was starting in entrepreneurship, I had to fight perfectionism so hard because it was ingrained in me. And when you're building a business, if you try to be perfect, it's never gonna get off the ground. You have to fail. 
Yes. You, you have, have to, to taking, fail. You have to be taking risks all the time. Failure is an option and it should happen. If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough, I've learned, which was so different than how I grew up. So that often gets skipped over because there's a lot of mindset things that have to happen to succeed as an entrepreneur. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. I um I can relate to the perfectionism. And it, the crazy thing being a parent too is that you see some of it is innate. Some of it, I think, is cultural, mm -hmm. and some of it comes from your family expectations or the social circle you're in, and some of it's just ingrained. But I think it's also some of that perfectionism that drives you to be great. It's a blessing and a curse. Since Pat is a master of creating smart passive income, it's time for him to answer your questions in this special Masterclass episode. Our first question came from a fan of Pat's who was at one of our live events in L.A., Hi, Pat. Um, I'm a fellow podcaster, and I'm curious about how you navigate this space of interviewing your guests and lead them in a way that's storytelling, but also information-based. So my number one goal whenever creating a podcast episode, whether it's a solo show or an interview show, is I want that transformation to happen for my listener. So I always think about the end in mind first. So if it's a guest, I think about, well, okay, I have this awesome guest coming on and they have all this awesome information. Where might I best take my audience member during this chat? This is, this is my planning situation. I don't read an entire book from an author. I want to be in the same seat as my audience member. I want to know just as much as they do or maybe just a little bit more so I can guide the conversation, right? But I always know where, where I want to go. And so my job as an interviewer is to guide the conversation there. I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get there because I don't know where the conversation is going to go, which makes it fun slash scary sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But I have an idea. And through storytelling is is how I want to get there. Uh, people don't remember the facts. They don't remember the top five tips. They remember the story. And when they can remember the story, they can share the story. They can then bring other people. They can then actually use that information in their life. The best way to set up a story, and I learned this from Alex Bloomberg, the host of the startup podcast and Gimlet Media and et cetera, brilliant man. He said, if you want to get a story out of somebody, all you have to do is say, well, tell me about a time when blank. Tell me about a time when you tried to run Facebook ads and it completely failed. Oh, it was this one time. And then your job as an interviewer is to shut up, <laughs> which is the hardest thing to do. I always wanted to inject and, and, and add to, but that would interrupt the person being interviewed. You need to sit back and listen. I also struggled with, well, what am I going to say next? What am I going to ask next? So I would often have like a list of questions, right? But I don't like those interviews personally where it's like, I ask a question, an answer is supplied. All right, question number two, and then question number three, and question number four. Uh, unless it's like in a Q&A session like this, if it's if that's how the whole interview is, it's like, well, then what makes you special as the host? Like, this isn't a conversation. It's just a Q&A session. And then the final tip I have for you is to, after a person answers a question or tells a story, here's the secret weapon that you can say after. Tell me more. <laughs> and then you sit back and listen again. Right. Because a lot of times people who are being interviewed want to um, – they're sensitive to how long they're talking. And of course we want them to talk, but they're also, uh, they don't wanna, they don't wanna go longer than you want them to. So, so they'll stop and then you can just go, no, 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 keep going, keep going. Um, another good follow-up question is, well, why? And I think that's the, you know, we're afraid of asking why 
because it it almost makes us seem like we don't understand. Like when we were kids, right? And you asked why, your parents would go, I'm done with you. Like why, 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 right? Like we, we see why as a bad thing. But when you're interviewing, why is great? Because then it helps the person go, okay, let me tell this in a way that's a little bit deeper that may get to the level of understanding. Because oftentimes those answers are surface level. And why is a great way to get to the deep parts of the answer where the gold lies. Whys are great for even your own business. Completely. Do the five whys. I talked to an entrepreneur at the Podcast Movement Conference, and here's his question. So a lot of us are multi-talented. We have various things that we're passionate about, various opportunities to help people. But we also have the struggle of having a day job. So how do you figure out what you should work on when you have a day job, other commitments, multiple ways that you could help people, whether it's do a service-based business or digital products? How do you figure out what you should tackle next so that you don't overwhelm yourself by doing everything at the same time? So if you are working a nine-to-five and you're looking to start a business, it's really important that with whatever time you do have, you know you're putting it into something that's actually going to move the needle for you. And I see this all the time because a lot of times with the extra time we do have in the day, it's spent on things that maybe aren't the best use of our time. Um, And it's very easy as an entrepreneur, even with time, to have just squirrel syndrome and bright light syndrome and, and things like that. So I think, number one, we have to be very clear with what idea are we working on right now and everything else has to go away or at least put in a shoebox for later. Because when you start to have focus, that's when you start to have progress, whether it's going in the right direction or not. At least you're getting to a point where you can now start to make some decisions versus just kind of bouncing around on the surface of a bunch of different ideas. Um, If you are strapped for time, one thing that I would recommend is, if if possible, try to wake up earlier and do work for yourself first before you offer it to somebody else. Um, This is very much in the same vein as uh, Hal Elrod, an author who wrote the book The Miracle Morning. He wrote this book and said, you know, a lot of personal development can happen in your life. A lot of progress and and, and happiness can come if you wake up for yourself first and give to yourself first before you give to others so that you can give to others better, right? It's like when you're in the airplane and they say, oh, you you know, before you put the mask on your kid, put it on yourself first. Because if you don't do that, well, you're not going to be able to help anybody. And then now somebody's going to have to drag you out or bring you back to life. Yeah. So in the world of finance, since you're all listening to FreshBooks, one tip that we all know about to help build our nest egg is to pay yourself first, right? To just set aside a little bit of money each paycheck and pay yourself first. It almost becomes something that, you know, is is almost forgotten, right? And then over time, you look back and like, oh my gosh, I've collected all this extra money in an automated fashion. Well, you can pay yourself first with time every day too. So let's wake up a little bit earlier, maybe even a half hour. And I'll tell you, when you know that you have an extra half hour in the early parts of your day and you're dedicating it to yourself first, first of all, You're not putting it at the end of the day after you've exhausted all your creativity and mindset on somebody else's dream. So let's put it to ourselves first. And when you know you have that timeline, it's like, wow, okay, I have to do the things that I know are going to move the needle. In the very beginnings, a lot of it might just be researcher conversations and things like that. Or it might be slowly getting that uh, prototype made or slowly getting that course outline made or your, your book outline and slowly trudging away at every word with the book that you might be writing, whatever it is. But I think when you have a little bit of extra space at the beginning of the day, it could go a very long way. And you'll build that nest egg and that, uh, of time that can uh, reap benefits down the road. This third question came to me during a conversation with an entrepreneur at one of our live events. So what I'm struggling with is on my social media presence, it's like I want to come off as this 
thought leader, industry expert because I have experience. But at the same time, I know that like I'm also branching out and doing a lot of things for like the first time for myself or in a different environment now, right? So I guess when I share what I share on social media, I'm often encouraged to share the journey, share the struggle. It's like I feel like I see the, the two narratives. Like you're a thought leader and you're the expert, people are coming to you, or you're like learning and figuring it out. And I feel like I'm kind of in the middle there and I'm not sure what to do without like losing credibility in either side, if that makes sense. I wish I could have a conversation with this person because I would wonder why they think they would lose credibility. That's my question. Because it's interesting in my career as an entrepreneur, the more I've shared and the stories of failure that I've told, the more authority I've built, the more of a thought leader I've become. And I think a part of that is because in many spaces, if we see something that's totally perfect and working well all the time, we kind of know that that's not real for number one. But number two, I think people love following the people, the person behind the journey. And I'll tell you a quick story. I have a friend of mine. His name is Adam Baker. And he became well-known back in the, uh, gosh, 2005s, 2006s. He created a website called Man Versus Debt. He was completely and massively in debt. But he decided that he was going to get out of it. And he started to document his journey. And by the time he was, I, I don't know the exact numbers of how much he was in debt, but it was like a lot. And when he was halfway through, like he was making good progress, still massively in debt, he had a following of tens of thousands of people that went to him for get out of debt advice. So on the surface, you're like, why would 10,000 plus people follow this guy? He is massively in debt. He've, he's made mistakes, obviously. But people are following his progress and seeing just how much he cares about getting out of it for his family, and they can relate to that. And that, to me, is being a thought leader, somebody I can relate to. Because a great leader is humble, in my opinion. A great leader does not shout from the top of the mountain, but gets in there with their people. A great leader offers the spotlight to others. Yeah, and I think there, just in our culture, there's, there's a feeling like you have to be an expert in every aspect of the thing, you know, that you're, that you're teaching or sharing. Um, and that it's this perfectionism thing again, too. Right, like, right. That, you, you know, you have to be perfect at it. But as well, you said— Well, that's Instagram culture, right? Right, right. <laughs> it is definitely. Like, you put a filter on your whole life. Right. But Highlight reel. Yeah, you've totally demonstrated through this conversation that, that when you share the moments of struggle, those are the things that people relate to. Like, your average customer can't relate to— making a million dollar product yet mm -hmm. but they can relate to choosing the wrong product or getting fired from their job or yeah. being on the struggle so right thank you for sharing that one last question this is not from our listeners but we always ask our guests for tips or tools one thing that you either life advice you follow or could even be a piece of technology that makes your life as an entrepreneur more livable mm. The one thing I, th I think is, and this relates to some of the stuff that we've talked about today already, but, and, and, and this is something we all have access to. Uh, we just need to be diligent with it. And this is the number one thing that's helped me in my career. My calendar. Utilizing the calendar, time blocking when I'm going to do what. And I'll tell you, and this might sound strange, but I actually have in my calendar the time that I'm going to be spending with my kids. Because when it's in my calendar, it gets done. And it's very, very important for me 
to be fully and 100% available and present, both physically and mentally, when I'm with my kids. And that's just me. I need that in order to do it because I've learned as I become an entrepreneur that my brain wants to go everywhere. But if it's in the calendar and I become and I honor that, then I can shut off. The beauty of having the nine to five job was at five o'clock, I could mentally check out and I was done till the next day. That was like before iPhones took over our lives. <laughs> well, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> right. But, but today it's a blend. So I have to set boundaries, time boundaries, plus even physical boundaries. I do my work out of my house in an office with a door. And that door is really, I had to get the door installed because I wanted it shut when I was either in it so I could be fully in it in my business, but I was also shut when I'm out of it so I could be fully out of my business and into my kids and into my family and supporting my wife. So the calendar, we all have access to that. We can block whatever we want in there. What's important to you is really the best question. If what's important to you right now is creating smart, passive income, here are the top takeaways from today's episode. Solve today's micro frictions for tomorrow's big money. Devour your competitors' three-star reviews. They will tell you exactly what your target customer wants. Serve your super fans. They are the ones who will support your business, even when times are tough. Find your tribe. If you try to please everybody, you're going to attract nobody. Passive income isn't about laziness. It's building businesses that can pay you back time and time again after you've invested that time and money up front. If you're ready to do that, listen to Pat Flynn's podcasts, Smart Passive Income or Ask Pat. You can also find him online at patflynn.com. And if you're looking to up your video creation game, you can pick up your Switch Pod on Amazon. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. It's April, Financial Literacy Month. If you need help figuring out how to manage your finances during this time and you're not sure how we can help, check us out at freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L. We have an exclusive offer that's just for you, our podcast listeners. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Producing and direction comes from Paco Arismendi. And I'm your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. You can connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Demona Hoffman, or find me at DemonaHoffman.com. And don't forget to join our Facebook community page at facebook.com slash groups slash I make a living, or you can just search the hashtag I make a living on Facebook to find us and look out for our additional bonus episodes that will be dropping every Wednesday to help you run your business during this pandemic. Keep creating and innovating, even though times are tough because it's your business. See you next week.